Good morning, listeners. Happy Sunday. Welcome back to the Under the Scope podcast where we discuss music. I'm your host, Will Brost. Calling in is Patrick Anderson, my good friend. How are you? Doing pretty good. 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 Um, good, good weekend coming up here. Absolutely. I'm, uh, I'm excited for this podcast because for the first time in a while, we're doing a more discussion-based podcast. We've picked out a few topics here that we'd like to discuss as opposed to album reviews or song rankings or anything like that. This is more of a a free flow maybe we'll get a little philosophical here type discussion on a mm-hmm. on an assortment of topics that you and I find interesting to discuss. Um those being we'll uh, we'll discuss these Taylor Swift re-recordings. We're going to discuss a particular element to this Kanye Kim divorce, and we'll uh, we'll take on cancel culture at the end. Uh, <laughs> Just what you've been waiting for. That's right. That's right. Uh, so no, we'll 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 uh, discuss cancel culture. We hope with uh, plenty of nuance at the end. So um, we hope. Uh, so uh, let's go ahead and uh, unless you have something you want to say, you you want to get started with our first topic here. Ready to get going, yeah. Let's do it. Well, let's do it then. Our first topic is these uh, Taylor Swift re-recordings. For those not aware, Taylor Swift is a pop star. No, I I, I assume you're familiar with who Taylor Swift is. For those who are not aware, Taylor Swift is re-recording her first six albums. A re-recording of Fearless, which I believe is her second album, will be released on April 9th. One song titled Love Story Taylor's Version has already been released. So why is she doing this? Um, Taylor Swift does not own any songs on albums prior to Lover, her 2019 record. Artists often do not own the songs they create. Uh, Typically, I guess traditionally, a record company owns copyrights of the records, known as masters, and the artists themselves get paid some portion of that revenue. In this case, the copyrights of these Taylor Swift records were sold to a company owned by Scooter Braun. And here are a few quotes from Taylor Swift on why she opposed this sale. Uh, Begin quoting here. Uh, This is my worst case scenario. I learned about Scooter Braun's purchase of my masters as it was announced to the world. All I could think about was the incessant manipulative bullying I've received at his hands for years. This is what happens when you sign a deal at 15 to someone for whom the term loyalty is clearly just a contractual concept. And when that man says music has value, he means its value is beholden to men who had no part in creating it. I've spoken a lot about why I'm remaking my first six albums, but the way I've chosen to do this will hopefully help illuminate where I'm coming from. Artists should own their own work for so many reasons, but the most screamingly obvious one is that the artist is the only one who really knows that body of work. Um, end quote. Re-recording her songs allows Taylor Swift to regain control over those songs, or at least the re-recorded versions of them. Uh, Patrick, where would you like to begin with this? Yeah, I I want to start with that uh, quote of Taylor Swift because I think that like I'm glad that you put that in there because I think that her analysis of it. And the way that she breaks it down is so succinct mm-hmm. and clear and speaks to a lot of the issues that artists have 
complained about and have been fairly obvious in the music industry for quite a long time. Like, this is not a new thing. Absolutely not. Yeah. um, And I think that, like, especially in the case of... Scooter Braun is a good kind of poster poster child for what's kind of wrong with the situation because he's had this pattern of signing artists that are really young in the past with like Justin Bieber and like Ariana Grande and that are like huge names later on Mm -hmm. and um, really profiting off of things that like she said you get from an impressionable young kid that has no idea what they're signing up for and is just super excited about the prospect of becoming famous and becoming a pop star and becoming an artist. Um, and like this doesn't even apply to young kids. It, it applies to anybody who's has the opportunity to you know, become a pop star or become a musician as their career who has a dream of doing that. Like this is, this, this is applicable to all artists, but it's especially relevant when it comes to younger artists that start their careers really young, like Taylor Swift and some of his other clients. Um, yeah, I think that that kind of broke open the doors. Um, I think social media definitely helped with this too, because of the open level of communication that, fans have with artists and things like that the exposure in the music industry in that way but this really helped kind of break open the doors and expose some of the more sinister aspects of how exploited the music industry can be to artists um yeah i i think that it's not and i don't even blame necessarily scooter braun for this right like he's an easy target for this because he's clearly benefited off of this messed up system that is already in place but it was it's the system that was in place in the first place that's the messed up thing um so i think that this is fascinating i think that taylor swift taking action on this um when she otherwise does not need to like Mm -hmm. she's She's Taylor Swift. She doesn't have to do. She doesn't have to put out another album ever if she doesn't want to. And she's still a legend. Um, she's still incredibly wealthy. She's still incredibly influential and relevant. Um, but I think it's great that, like, on her level, she's speaking up for artists um, because this applies not just to super high-level pop stars, but to all artists that have been struggling with the music industry even on like uh, more obscure lower levels than Taylor Swift. Um, yeah, so I think that this is this is just a really cool thing. It has there's a lot of messiness to it, obviously, and um, I really mostly like think about this in terms of like uh, conceptually, because the legal parts of it are are where I'm like, oh my god, this is like insane. <laughs> so yeah, for me, it's like hard to talk about that aspect of things. Um, but I like I, I I like talking about this in terms of like conceptualness and like how the long term effects that this could have on the uh, 
industry as a whole. So, yeah, well put. And I, I too would like to use the "I'm not a lawyer" disclaimer. Yeah, um, but I, I do support at least philosophically what Taylor Swift is is doing here. Um, she, when I read that quote, it really took me aback that she signed that deal at 15 years old. I mean, that's a yeah, that is a child. Um, it, it's there was I find it hard to believe that she was presented the entire realities of the music industry at 15 before making that decision. Um, and or, or even would be in the, um, yeah, like right. maturity and mental capacity to really have a grasp of what that even means. Exactly. Right. And even if she was older, I doubt that, you know, the, the record execs would have presented kind of both sides of the music industry. <laughs> her. Yeah. Um, and the music industry is something that I I feel like we say is bad. It's like, oh, the music industry is bad, but we don't often discuss why and in what ways the music industry is bad. And this situation is bringing to light just one example of, um, why, you know, why the music industry is antiquated in some ways i feel like this is such a traditional setup where i feel like music has kind of moved beyond the need maybe for these sort of traditional record companies anyway um Mm -hmm. i feel like in the past and and there's much more to i'm probably oversimplifying this but a, a big part of the record companies um job in the in the past was to promote and expose these artists to an audience right um but now i think there's less of a need for that in in the internet age um so that was kind of one reaction i had to that was just record companies in 2021 i don't think are as impactful as they were in the past and yeah i i i'm surprised frankly that there aren't at this time, more artists doing that. Um, I think just about every massively popular artist could take this Taylor Swift route and succeed from it. Um, you've seen this in hip hop. Historically, many rappers end up like Jay-Z, for example, starting their own label um, in a way not only to profit, but to take ownership of their own music. Mm-hmm. Um, so that this is something that's kind of been bubbling in the hip hop culture for years now, and I'm interested to see how many artists follow follow Taylor Swift's lead. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah, and I mean, speaking on that too, like Kanye, even uh, like last year, I believe. Um, I, I mean, last year is such a blur. I can't remember if it was last year, or a couple years ago, or what, but. Right. Um, last year was doing a similar thing where he was fighting for his masters and, you know, posting all these legal, his approach was a lot stranger and a lot more like, uh, aggressive, I think than Taylor Swift says. Um, but he was even doing this where he was posting these legal documents, posting his contracts, Mm. his old contracts for his masters online to try to expose like what was going on, like all of this documentation that he was um, stating that is too complicated and too, like, it, it, it's it, there's too much jargon and too much legalese for an artist to be, you know, 
they just get buried in uh, all of this and then end up getting manipulated into not owning very much of the art that they create. Um, so yeah, like you're right. Like the hip hop community has for a long time taken an active stance in this. And I, I was going to say this too. Like, I think it's interesting now that like, um, Taylor Swift and Kanye have started talking about this. Like, it is interesting in one way because those two have like reputations for, I mean, Kanye, especially <laughs> making yeah. enemies in the, yeah. in the music industry. Right. To, to put it lightly. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Taylor Swift does, but like, I honestly respect Taylor Swift's way of doing it more than Kanye's. Sure. Because Taylor Swift is, is doing it and calling out misrepresentation with women in general in the music industry and the ex the the extra sinister nature of exploiting women in the pop industry and you know exploiting their music and art. Um, but I think it's interesting that like at their level, they're calling this out because. In one way, it's great because they don't have to be doing any of this. They could just as easily, like, you know, be like, oh, well, I had to do it, so you had to have to do it. They're, like they're making millions mentality. either way. Yeah, right. Yeah, pull yourself up by your bootstraps type thing. Mm -hmm. um, but, it, which is great. I'm glad that they're fighting. But in another way, it's also kind of a thing of, like, yeah, they they have this privilege to be able to do this now. They they have these platforms and um, this huge audience, and like Taylor Swift will be fine. Yeah, um, you know. So like, I think it's a great thing, but I I have a hard time being like super optimistic about what this means for artists that are still trying to make it you know what i mean like right the music industry is still out there it's still gonna um it's still gonna prey on like younger or unsigned unnamed artists that are trying to get their name out there um so does this actually benefit the does it benefit artists as a whole for this to happen or does it just make it to where once you reach a certain level you can start making the argument to get your masters back. Yeah, no, that's a great point. There is a sort of privilege of fame that comes with this. Um, yeah. And I think if anything, this is at the very least calling attention to these sorts of practices. And, um, you know, maybe that's good enough for now. I I'm not sure. Um, but, you know, something I, I wanted to, Say is that this is bold? I think it's it's a bold move, um, but it's also simultaneously, in my opinion, not super risky, because Taylor mm -hmm. Swift and I credit Taylor Swift for this. Her her fan base is so passionate and massive that mm -hmm. she could absolutely convince her fans to support her re-recordings instead of the original tracks and like no second thought on the on the fans perspective like oh yeah yeah i'm going to listen to love story taylor's version now and i'm interested how different these re-recordings are going to sound if at all um 
legally again as soon as we get into like legal i kind of i'm not certain here yeah legally i don't know how similar she's allowed to make these re-recordings um it's sort of a ship of theseus philosophical question where it's like how much can you change it before it's no longer the same song even though it clearly is the same song i'm interested to see how this works out and i haven't heard the love story remake yet i'll probably listen to the entire fearless remake when it comes out next month but um Mm-hmm. I don't know if you had any thoughts on the sound of the re-recordings and uh, whether or not you think they'll be different or anything like that. Yeah, from a musicality standpoint, I think it's really interesting um, because you know, on one hand, you have this legal battle and this the this what it represents um, in terms of like her fight with the music industry and her fight for art and everything, and then on on the other hand. She's giving fans like um, a total like nostalgia fest, basically. <laughs> yeah, um, which is kind of cool in a way. And uh, like, uh, I'm not the biggest Taylor Swift fan, and but like, I I would think it would be so cool if like one of my favorite artists did something like that. Um, just because it's like you know you get to kind of relive all this these moments in a whole new way um i would like to i would like to see her re-record them in a way that's different and a little bit more uh maybe representative of like her style now mm-hmm. um but like also paying like nod or paying a uh, uh, homage to like her her style in the past um just kind of a blend of both but yeah i'm really interested to see how she takes that in an artistic direction. I think it gives her like a really interesting and uh, creative like um, area to work in to to try to re-record these things. Like the the idea of going back in and redoing some of your art is not something that anybody's ever been able to like do before this this era. You know what I mean? Yeah. It well, this is. In some ways, it's similar to an artist just recording acoustic versions of their own music, um, but I don't know if that's right. what she's doing, right? I don't know if she's doing like acoustic versions or a live album where it is a re-recording in a way of a song that already exists. But if she's just going to, like you said, uh kind of re-record Fearless, which came out in 2008, with a much more modern Taylor Swift aesthetic to it. Um, I, I'm interested regardless, but I, I am curious to see where she goes with this. Um, and for the, for the sake of argument, just devil's advocate here, a pure cynic would say that she's only doing this so she can make money. And let's say that's uh-huh. true, which I don't. I don't agree with, but let's say it's true. I don't mind that, <laughs> you know. Yeah. I don't even mind that if if her motivation was strictly to generate money and revenue, I would not care. I'd there's be like, you know what, worse, go for it. There's much more sinister ways to make money uh, than this. So yeah, <laughs> right. right. No, for sure. I, I just know because Taylor Swift is such a polarizing person that I imagine someone has taken this stance of like, well, she's just sort of 
they're not only polarizing, but the, the anti-Taylor Swift perspective is that she's calculated. Mm-hmm. Um, and this, from a well, cynical mind, would fit right into that. Um, yeah. So. Which I think is, you know, a, generally just a very sexist mm-hmm. take on Taylor Swift in general. And I think that, like, a lot of, like, I have my issues with Taylor Swift for sure. And even in terms of, like, her personality, the way she presents herself. Yeah, sure. I have, like, like things that I think are a little bit, like, weird or strange or, like, that I don't agree with. But, like, there is this thing that people like to use the word calculating mm-hmm. um, or two-faced or, like, you know, those kind of adjectives to her <clears throat> just because she, like, gives a shit about her art and her fan base and, like, um, how she presents herself. And it's, like, it's also a thing where, like, the word calculating is, like, if you were to apply that to a man, mm-hmm. um, oh, which... genius. It, yeah, that's, like, you know, like, Steve Jobs has been referenced as being a calculating person, like, forever. And, you know, he's regarded as one of the greatest geniuses of the modern era. But, yeah, you throw that onto a woman like Taylor Swift and it's like, oh, that's not okay. You know, like, she shouldn't be doing that. She shouldn't be tricking people into her, you know. And, like, sure, like, I'm not for people, you know, manipulating and exploiting people and tricking people into, like, doing their bidding. Yeah, I'm not for that. But, like... I think that like being a calculating artist and trying to move things along with your vision, it's not a bad thing at all. Like people Mm -hmm. do that all the time. And that's kind of like part of what being in the music industry has become. Like it's kind of the Eric Andre meme of like the (laughs) music industry, like shooting artists and like, (laughs) and like making them like work for their art. And then when they do, it's like, why would the artists do this? Right, right. I, I love when you say Eric Andre meme. I have to think like, well, okay, which of the ten or so is it? <laughs> right, yeah. Um, no, I, I totally agree with you. There is, uh, I, yeah, all the things you could point to about Taylor Swift and say, oh, she's calculated. You could do that for so many other artists. And I feel like she disproportionately gets that label in part because she's a woman, like you said, and in part because she succeeds every single time. <laughs> um, mm-hmm. If she if she had a flop, like just once, like just a total flop, and like I'm not talking reputation, like critical flop, because that album still sold like crazy. Right. Um, I'm talking just a pure like no one liked it, um, no one bought it, no one streamed it. Yeah, like, if she yeah. had something like that then I think all of that calculated stuff kind of goes away, or at least some of it, because it's like, oh, well, she's not this like perfect calculating robot after all. But right. because she succeeds every time, to her credit, I think we continue to, we collectively have this sort of like, oh, well, this is Taylor Swift, and she's calculated, and she's, unlike anyone else, she's trying yeah. to market her brand the best, you know? Um yeah. So, well, and the other thing with this is she has changed up her style quite a bit on various records, right? Like Reputation for One, and then Lover was kind of like this Jack Antonoff type album. Mm -hmm. And then now she's doing this, uh, like, Folklore Evermore 
type. Um, and the cynic approach and maybe the sexist approach is, oh, well, she's trying to um, capitalize on some sort of movement. But if David Bowie does that, then it's like, mm-hmm. oh, he's he's an artistic mind. You know, he's a creative Mind. Yeah, he's a pioneer. He's a pioneer, yeah. Right. Oh, Kanye, he, oh, now he's doing this, so he's smart, yeah. you know. Um, and I think that touches on what you said, too. But, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I, That's one thing with Taylor Swift that I, you know, have... I, 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 I still, like, um, you know, talking about her is interesting because I'm really not, like, a huge fan of her music just in general, but, like... Like, there's, there's definitely moments that I like with her music. But her as a person, I think, is really fascinating. Because, mm-hmm. um, you know, while there is some, like, credence to the complaints that people have about, like, oh, she puts herself at the center of, like, conversations that she's not really a part of, like, the LGBT community. Yeah. Or, you know maybe like even like representing like women of color or something like that like talk, like speaking on behalf of them or something like that i i mean i guess like there may i'm sure that there's moments out there that i can see it but for the most part what i see is that she is just like she's a, a very successful woman in the music industry that is also very aware of how the industry has manipulated her and she goes really ferociously after them and doesn't pull back many punches Mm -hmm. and it doesn't fit with this branding that the music industry wanted to give her yeah right and and the image that she to some extent still holds up in her music that's a great point you know yeah and it's like it it she she is a fascinating person in that right because she really embodies a lot of the implicit biases that people have when they throw these, yeah, those kind of like pessimistic critic reactions to whatever she's doing that really expose a lot of sexist, yeah, sexist biases. Um, It's just interesting that, that Taylor Swift is that person that represents it because she was so much supposed to be kind of the, you know, just the the good girl type innocent in the music industry. Yeah. Yep. Just the girl with the guitar. You know, that's yeah. that was her brand or how yeah. uh, she was supposed to turn out. Um, yeah. Yeah, and and it's also funny too because it's like I don't even think she's done anything that extreme. People sometimes talk about her like she's like, you know, just going into these offices and screaming at people or like a tyrant you know what i mean like yeah. no. look at like i mean we've referenced kanye a couple of times here but look at what kanye does on like a <laughs> daily basis sometimes and you know and, and the way that he calls people out and the things that he says about people and like yeah. just you know ridiculous stuff and people love it um, yeah, but you know when when Taylor Swift does something half, not even half as dramatic, just basically being like, "Hey, I'm gonna re-record my songs because these, you know, these uh, contracts that I signed are bullshit." Mm-hmm. People go fucking nuts, and they're like, 
oh, this is, you know, just another example of her calculating nature uh-huh. and why she, you know, it, it, it is, it's just really interesting to watch that devolve. Um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's a great point because I don't, I mean, what she's doing to me isn't the most overly radical thing yeah. or of all time and like even her political views aren't like the most overtly radical political views they're of all pretty, time they're, they're pretty moderate yeah they're they're pretty vanilla like, you know and like yeah. i mean props to her for having you know like supporting lgbt like you said like for sure yeah. absolutely but it's not like the most radical thing of all time to say like hey i think gay people should have rights um right yeah and she still gets disproportionately more hate for that than others uh, who express the similar points so um, as we move on to our next topic, I just want to say, just in general, I, I uh, like you, I'm not a huge Taylor Swift fan. Um, I think my favorite album of hers would get like a 7 out of 10 from me, which is a good score, but it's not like a I love it score. Um, but just because I'm not a super stan or anything, that doesn't mean I can't support her in this re-recording in Denver, uh, which I do. So shout out to Taylor Swift. Um, yeah. She's got the under-the-scope support. She does. She really does. And... Um, you know, we've we've talked about Kanye a couple times during this uh, segment here, yeah. so let's move on to uh, let's just go knee deep into this uh, Kanye stuff here. Um, so, Kanye West and Kim Kardashian are getting a divorce, and while longtime fans of the Under the Scope podcast understand that we can't go three episodes without discussing Kanye, <laughs> or in this podcast episode's sake, we can't even make it to the 30 minute mark we can't even (laughs) (laughs) yeah we couldn't even get to the subject where we're dedicated to talking about kanye before talking about Kanye. we knew we would talk about kanye and we still couldn't save it um that said i mean we talk about kanye all the time we rarely ever discuss like his personal life from a celebrity gossip perspective you know we are not us weekly or in touch weekly we aren't the celebrity gossip type and we're not really here to talk about the kanye west kim kardashian divorce um you reached out to me because there was a particular element an interesting element of this story that you wanted to share your thoughts on um what is it about this story that piqued your interest well, this, I mean, it's its kind of relevant to celebrity culture as a whole, um, but just using Kanye as an example of this, um, I mean, it's obviously so messed up, the amount of media coverage and the amount of, like, publicity and um, public opinion that things like Kanye West and Kim Kardashian getting a divorce have. Mm-hmm. Um, because it's like one of the most private possible things that you could ever go through. Um, or one of the things that you would want the most privacy for right. right. that you could possibly go through. Um, so in that nature, I'm already like interested in this because of that. Like I, it's already just fascinating and bizarre and messed up to me how, how invested people get into this kind of stuff and on that you know kanye being kanye fans of kanye were going on social media and like i was seeing like not like 
overwhelming amounts, but definitely a good amount of people being like, can't wait for the divorce album. This next, mm. this next album is about to go crazy. Kanye is about to give us his best work yet. Um, he's free of Kim. This is going to bring about, you know, that kind of stuff, which I think is just absolute bullshit. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's what piqued my interest in talking about it because this is something that Kanye really represents this, this, uh, idea that that I've seen of like people misunderstanding mental, the, the correlation between mental illness and art, um, and also opening the conversation for trauma and mental illness within creatives. Um, so he represents like an interesting part of that because it's like, on one hand, he did open the conversation for this and he did, you know, give some level of admission to like how his bipolar disorder and his mental illness contributes to his creative energy. And that's great. Like, I'm glad that he is you know was owning up to that and and kind of lifting the veil on it but on the other hand it gave a lot of people this idea that i think is really really dangerous that you know mental disorders are inherently linked to creative genius Mm -hmm. or creativity in general um and you know, Kanye and Kim's divorce doesn't really have much to do with Kanye's mental illness mm-hmm. as, you know, like th- that, the whole thing doesn't really have much to do with that, with his mental illness. But it's the, you know, the trauma and the like just difficult emotional upheaval from that, that people are taking away as this is going to make some really great art. And I just think that's such a tricky, but also very interesting subject to go into. Yeah. Um, uh, I guess I'll just, uh, you know, possible content warning, maybe, uh, depending on what we talk about in this section here. Yeah. Before we get to, I guess, my thoughts on, like, the mental illness aspect of it, um, one thing you just mentioned was that uh, at least some fan perspective was... Something to the extent that, like, oh, well, now Kim's gone so he can make great music again or something like that, which is, to, yeah. to me, this sort of, again, another instance of sexism, in my opinion. Yeah. It's a it's a tale at least as old as yep. Yoko Ono ruining the Beatles, oh, God, right? Yeah. It's, it's that, again, where it's like, oh, well, Kanye was somehow being held back creatively because uh, of his relationship to Kim Kardashian. Because you know Kim Kardashian. She's, you know, we point to her for everything bad about Kanye. Yeah. Um, so there is that that I wanted to not slip by uh, as we discussed this. But, you know, on one hand, it's fans do come to certain artists be pr- because they can relate to the, you know, the the the. the Depression and the mental health mm-hmm. themes explored on their yep. records. You know, everyone from Nick, uh, Nick, I almost said Nick Cave, but maybe him too, Nick Drake. <laughs> yeah, uh, both of them are relevant. <laughs> exactly, yeah. Uh, to Phoebe Bridgers, Elliot Smith, Kurt Cobain. You know, you, we could keep going. Julian Baker. Um, 
And so I do get why fans would be excited like excited for a new album from that artist because they they think it may help them with what they are going through. But there is a Aesop rock lyric from the song Molecules that came out right around the time we started this podcast mm-hmm. that really sort of like opened me up to this whole perspective. And I'm just going to quote it and then sort of elaborate. Um, he says, when you write about seclusion and some buyers finally tune in, you get frightened. Finding happiness can drive away the movement in a jiffy. Just eat your food and keep the future iffy. That fruition's for the viewers who need a loser to pity. Plus an underlying message of a greater disconnection. God forbid he try to live or gain momentum. So mm. what he's saying there is that there's a lot of pressure on him as a rapper to appeal to a fan base that initially came to him for certain, uh, you know, certain topics and uh, about his mental illness and whatnot. Um, and so he feels a pressure to continue to cater to that fan base while at the same time, you know, he wants to move on from that. He, he wants to, you know, and, uh, so there's like this battle he's been experiencing on that. Uh, he's afraid he might lose a good chunk of his fan base if he makes more uplifting or positive movement uh, music, not even intentionally, just maybe accidentally from being in a better mood. Um, uh-huh. So that that lyric has always kind of stuck to me about about this. But um, yeah, yeah, that that's a spectacular point, and it it, it also kind of leads into like one point that I had too, which is like it's it's really messed up that. Um, fans will take this energy and take this like um, these messages from these artists and these just yeah these these energies of just expressing their mental illness expressing their own depression their experience with this and make them spokespeople for mental illness in whatever capacity they're experiencing it. and not even mental illness we'll just say trauma in general mm-hmm. right right so like even in regards to this kanye and kim divorce right now people want kanye to be the spokesperson on what it's like to go through a divorce you know what i mean they want this perspective they want they want the new album to give them some feeling of uh, some energy of like um validation for i don't know breakups that they've had for divorces that they've had for you know their experience and that's too much that's way too much pressure Mm -hmm. and that's on both ends that's way too much pressure on the artist and there's far too high of an expectation as a fan to be putting on the artist like you, you that's that's what therapy is for yeah, you know, yeah, it's I, I, I use you know I use music all the time to get perspective on my own mental illness. Like it's been hugely beneficial for me. So I totally understand where this where this uh, comes from. Like it's one of the main reasons why I'm such a big music fan. But like it's also kind of a thing that like I recognize how tricky it can be. Because, like, it's a never-ending well. You're not going to ever satisfy that 
internal, like intrinsic need for fixing what or coping with whatever issues you have with somebody else's trauma or, you know, experience. Um, so that, I mean, a little bit of a soapbox on that, but it just relates to like, it, it relates to this whole thing and this frustration that I have of like, oh my God, you're so close. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. It's yeah. Like, I don't even think that like people are honestly saying this in any sort of like sinister or you know, I, I right. really think they're well-intentioned. I think that they're like, yes, he's going to use that energy and make something great. But it's just missing the point entirely, I think. Yeah, I, I not only do I think it their intention isn't sinister, I think they think they're supporting the artist. Yeah. Um, and, yes. you know, I, I think the, the point you make about pressure and expectation is a great one because um, – Phoebe Bridgers put out Punisher last year, a record I liked and a record that was your album of the year and mm-hmm. a record that was many people's album of the year. And I, there was some sort of article or maybe it was just like a tweet or something about Phoebe Bridgers, the one article or tweet about Phoebe Bridgers, <laughs> uh, the only one that exists. Um, yep. My, my tweet. <laughs> right. <laughs> and uh, they, they referred to her as like the savior of Gen Z or something like that. And that's just, like, insane to put that on somebody. Um, you know, it's like, oh, well, Phoebe Bridgers is the artist we can all relate to. So yeah. we're just going to put all of that onto her. And, uh, you know, that that kind of rubs me the wrong way because I get it. Like, uh, you want to um, look for people who – you don't want to feel like you're alone in the world. And so, mm-hmm. you know, musicians can help kind of with, with that issue it's like oh well i can relate to phoebe bridgers so um that makes me feel better about what i'm going through mm-hmm. uh and also i have great music to listen to right um which is wonderful which is great yeah like i don't want to take away that and i think this is why fans think they're being sort of supportive in a way where um we think maybe that's a little bit misguided yeah um and specifically with uh you know, something that came to mind and something I've been guilty of in the past, honestly, and something I'm trying to correct is this sort of um, sad boy thing, right? Yeah. Where uh, James Blake is the the example that comes to mind, but like Sufjan Stevens is, you know, that he makes sad boy music. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, King Cruel makes sad boy music. Um, and Radiohead. Radiohead makes sad boy yeah. music. Well, well, James Blake uh, actually tweeted about the the sad boy label uh and in his words he said that he always found that expression unhealthy and problematic when used to describe men just openly talking about their feelings and yeah i think he i think that tweet and um the the conversation that generated from that uh brought up a lot of good points and it made me kind of realize like you know i was the kind of person who if james blake announced a new album i'd be like I don't know if I'd say it publicly, but I'd be like, all right, time to get sad. Oh, it's sad yeah. boy season, right? And yeah. um, you know, that's not an aesthetic, right? Like, that's not yeah. the point, really. Like, it's weird to get kind of excited about that in, in a way. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that, that kind of came to mind as, we, uh, as we've been talking about this, too. So. Yeah, that, no, that is such a good point. And, I, yeah, I'm totally guilty of it. I'm still guilty of mm-hmm. it. Um, I think when the Julian Baker album dropped, I was like, I was like, all right, time to get sad. Yeah, right. Um, 
Because it yeah, dropped I, the same day as the Nick Cave, and I was like, oh, wow. Yeah, yeah. that's right. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I do this, I do this all the time, too. Yeah. And it's, it is tricky. It's, it's hard to, you know, because, I mean, there is something really gratifying about, like, being in that melancholic space and listening to somebody else really, you know, flesh things out and, it is really healing and cathartic. And I mean, that's why I love a lot of sad music um, and love like all those artists that you just named that get that, you know, problematic, sad boy um, label. Mm -hmm. Yeah. But yeah, it's, it's too much, it's too much pressure and it's too much for the artist and the fan um, yeah, like I said, to, to have this expectation of like, you know, your music is going to help, like, not, not cure me, but it's going to just, it, it, it's like my medicine, basically. Mm -hmm. And like, in some ways, like, I mean, that's a wonderful thing. Like, I, I use that too, but it's just like the expectation that it, that puts on on musicians it's like they're still just musicians they're not therapists they're not they don't have any idea what your experience is they only can express what they're going through and um yeah it's just it's just such a it's such a tricky situation with that and um you know i'm all for using music as a therapeutic um medium like I, I, I highly recommend it, but it's it is so tricky, and um, I think that it does get into some toxic fan base mentality, um, where you start fetishizing yes trauma. That's a great word, and and start glorifying um, sad moments, tragic moments, <clears throat> you know, things like that. This was speaking of Nick Cave, mm -hmm. real quick. Um, another instance of of that that I had a bit of a problem with and I recognized myself too that I was kind of starting to get a little bit too um excited talking about I guess when he dropped skeleton tree the mm. conversation was all around how his son had died right and of course that needs to be stated because of the record um, because it gives context on on the record itself and some of the lyrical work and everything, but it, there was you know there's there's this added fetishization of this tragedy that has happened where you know as you know as a music listener you're kind of sitting there and experience a, experiencing somebody else's tragedy so that you can kind of get away from your own. It's it can be a really bad thing, I think. Like yeah, for like if you're not careful, it can be a, a not so not so good of a thing to do that. And um, yeah, I just think that like tying tying that perspective back in with this Kim and Kanye divorce is like uh, to expect that level from this kind of thing. To expect an album at all, also right, right. Yeah. You know, like how how selfish are you? Like, come right. on, let the man 
go through his divorce. He's getting a divorce. This is a horrible moment in his life. This it, is, you know, probably to, one of the more tragic things that have ever happened to him. And to quickly interject with a fact check, I'm pretty sure Kanye hasn't announced he's releasing an album, right? This is just... There's no evidence. And even if he had, there's right. still no evidence. <laughs> <laughs> still waiting on Yandi. Um, yeah, there's so many albums that, like, I, I don't know where fans are getting this idea that, you know, an imminent album is coming. Like, <laughs> Right. Um, Nick Cave made me think about this, too, because um, he makes great music. <laughs> his, his music is incredible. And there's a there's a a distinction between glorifying the trauma that an artist is going through versus like accurately praising the artistic expression of that trauma. There is a difference there, and sometimes the difference is a really fine line. So it's important to be cognizant on which side of the line you're on at any given time. And I thought. Yeah. What you said about, uh, you know, they these artists are musicians, they're not therapists. I thought that was uh, great to mention. Um, we advocate for seeking help, um, like professional help um, yeah. on this podcast if you need it. And, um, you know, on one hand, they're just musicians, but on the hand, other hand, they are they are people. They are full people. And I don't think it's accurate or fair or respectful to just take a person like James Blake and a person who contains multitudes and just label him as like, oh, that's the sad guy. Like, yeah, right. you and I have plenty of interests and hobbies and thoughts on the world and aspects to our personality and various mm -hmm. aspects to our identity. And imagine if everybody just looked at us and was like, Oh, that's Will and Patrick. They're the sad people. You know, that would be... Right. Like, there's so much more to people than that. And yeah. that's not always the, the respect we give them. Um, so I wanted to throw that in there, too. But Yeah, no, that's a spectacular point. I get, I get so frustrated, like, with that <clears throat> idea, you know, or with people are like, oh, you're so chill. Like, if they say that kind of thing to me, I'm like, yeah. what does that even mean? Yeah, you know? so, like, <laughs> real, take, that's take, real. I'm I'm sure you know. The, the, take that perspective and like imagine that like yeah, these artists feel that way too. Like you know, mm -hmm. so yeah. One more real quick point that I wanted to make on this too, because you sure. kind of touched on it, was um, this this idea that like um, mental illness is Im or trauma is implicitly linked to good art, and like when you heal from that that's when the art starts to degrade or like it's not as interesting or, you know, whatever. Right. Mm -hmm. Which is a complete fallacy. Like I just wanted to like mm -hmm. basically touch on that and be like that. I do not believe that I have seen no evidence for that to be the case other than the fact that a lot of the times people get into creatives who suffer from a lot of mental illness. A lot of creatives do suffer from depression, anxiety, bipolar. A lot of them do. I'm not going to discount that. There's a reason why there's a link, uh, a linkage there. Um, 
But a lot of times why they get into these creative spaces is so that they can find a way to express that. You know what I mean? And that mm-hmm. energy that they're using, that that like that yeah, that energy that they're using to express and to like just try to make sense of things is part of what makes the artwork so compelling. I'm not gonna deny that. But the idea that like them going to like therapy or getting on medication takes away their creative ability is complete right. bullshit because that's something that you hone as a skill. Mm-hmm. Like it, some people generally have more creative like flexibility and uh, just general talent than others do. Like I, I think that that's true. Just like some people are better at math or mm-hmm. you know athletic sports or you know it, 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 there there is there are you know people are born with a lot of different just different personalities and different abilities right mm-hmm. but like that that's still a skill that you hone over time and to imply that like oh you lost you know you lost a big tool whenever you got better it's just yeah, so that's... dangerous and it it, it i really don't like it because it, it causes a lot of creative people to like not seek help when they could otherwise really use it and their art might even benefit from it. Like there's been plenty of cases where artists have benefited in their careers from going to therapy or getting on medication because their depression is holding them back, you know, like, but Mm -hmm. people don't like to talk about that because it's not as, uh, I guess, I guess sexy is. Yeah, no, it's a, right. It's, it's like a, if it bleeds, it leads kind of thing. Um, Yeah. Right. And to that, I mean, not only is it, just repugnant from like an emotional perspective to think that way. But it, to me, it doesn't logically fit either. There's plenty of great music out there that isn't fueled by. Right. Yeah. And also there's, you know, there's plenty of people who do suffer from trauma who don't put out great music i mean it's not like oh you're now going to make the next best record because right um so you can make great music when you're experiencing trauma but you can also make great music when you're not and you can release bad music when you are so it's it's just a uh it's a it's a whole thing um I'm giving you the floor. Is there anything you wanted to say before we uh, we moved on to our final topic? Um, I think that yeah, I think that that that's it. I'm, yeah, yeah. I um I don't want too long of a soapbox on it, but this was an interesting one to me. So yeah, no, I, I agree. Like interesting to me too, and I'm I'm glad you brought we it up. Ru- we run into it in our own like personal lives all the time. I feel like all too. the time, right? And yeah. and again, some of this is like attitudes that I'm guilty of not intentionally but i am sometimes and yeah if the choice is a choice that i don't agree with but let's say it's uh you know either kanye makes like the best album of all time because he's because of what he's experiencing right now versus kanye doesn't put out any music again but he's happy uh, i would rather the latter um yeah honestly yeah, yeah i would agree yeah so that's that's where I stand on that. Um, let's move on to uh, cancel culture. Quote, unquote, cancel culture. 
in music. Um, exactly what you wanted to hear. That's right. It's about time. <laughs> white guys taking on. <laughs> I was just going to say, when, when will the white guys weigh in on, on cancel culture? <laughs> we can finally, you can, you can rest easy. We're finally going to talk about it. I'm, yes, I'm so, I'm so glad that we're here to save the conversation on cancel culture. Um, on the previous episode of the Under the Scope podcast, uh, on the previous episode of the Under the Scope podcast, uh, Patrick and I discussed the new album Tyron from British rapper Slow Tie. Uh, last year, Slow Tie received backlash for his lewd and confrontational actions at the NME Awards. He has a song called Cancelled on his new album, uh, which is a song that takes aim at quote unquote cancel culture. We shared our thoughts on that specific song uh, and the incident on our previous episode, but both of us felt like there was still plenty of meat on that cancel culture bone. Uh, we haven't really discussed cancel culture in music in depth, but now seems like a good time to do so. Uh, a couple of other cancel culture related stories have made headlines somewhat recently. Uh, country music star Morgan Wallen. Am I saying that right? I sure. <laughs> <laughs> Country music star Morgan Wallen, as we call him on this podcast, has uh, he's received backlash for his use of the N-word. And indie pop artist Ariel Pink took criticism for attending the Trump rally that led to the January 6th storming of the U.S. Capitol. Perhaps we'll go further into these particular stories during our discussion, and perhaps we'll reference other examples as well. But first, uh, where would you like to begin with this uh, broad topic of... of uh, yeah. Cancel culture. Hugely broad topic. And, and I'll go ahead and throw out content warning here, too, depending on what we talk about with these artists. So, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Um, yeah, let's just, like, segueing in from the um, topic we were just talking about, how uh, mental illness is it has this misconception of being intrinsically linked with art. Um, the references on, like, Slow Ties, like, song or like in an in interview that he did about you know they were asking him about the song and what his thoughts on cancel culture and he said something about how it kills art because mm. it stunts the conversation and it makes creatives afraid to say what they really want to say right mm -hmm. I'm, I'm paraphrasing that but that's essentially the the idea um i do not believe this yeah, at all. I think that that argument is incredibly weak, um, and I think that it's mostly just an attempt at justifying shitty, shitty behavior in the name of creating art, which is very irresponsible and super immature and not cool at all. Um, and I think that like this ties into. I don't want to go into cancel culture as a whole. I want to try to keep it related to the arts. That's yeah. Sorry. That's what I mean. Yeah. In general, I mean, within the arts, yeah. I guess within music or, you know, yeah. Yeah. But I will say that like it, it does, it does tie into this idea just in general of like people wanting to, you know, cancel, cancel culture mm -hmm. um, because they're afraid that it muzzles their, freedom you know right. whether that's artistic freedom or personal freedom or whatever that it really strips them of of this and i think it's really interesting because cancel culture has had 
no indication of being any more sinister than just holding people accountable for really heinous things like sexual assault, mm-hmm. racism, and homophobic or transphobic comments. Yeah. Um, generally, really bad things that you shouldn't be doing and you should be held accountable for, especially if you're in a position of power or in a position where you're influencing a lot of people, um, you have a lot of privilege, you know, like there's, I see no issue with this. I'll, we can get into like the issues of cancel culture and I think how it's kind of spectacularly failed in its, uh, it's not <laughs> in its attempt, to, you know, but there are a lot of like aspects that I support about it. And it's a really hard thing for me to believe that like it kills art because there's plenty, plenty of amazing artists and amazing art that is not created out of, horrible horrible behavior yeah no i um i'm gonna touch on that for sure um most of what i'm gonna say pretty much everything that i'm going to say throughout the segment is opinion but i would like to start with something that is fact and not facts like me hashtag facts after saying like (laughs) an opinion facts Facts. yeah no like an actual like fact because I, i see a lot of confusion about this, about, and, and this is more cancel culture in general, but it does apply to some of this. Um, this is not, 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 N-O-T, a free speech issue. Mm-hmm. Free speech is, the, the right to free speech is that the government cannot legally punish you for something you say. And yep. um, Morgan Wallen has not received legal punishment for using the N-word, but I, a non-legal entity, as part of my free speech, as well, can actively take exception to that. Um, yep. And you nailed it, segueing into opinion stuff here, when you said that this is about holding people accountable. To me, I don't even like... You may have noticed I've been kind of using quote-unquote cancel culture, right? Because I don't even care for the term, honestly. I I think it's mostly just holding people accountable. And I'm not not trying to ruin anybody's life or anything, but I'm I'm just trying not to support people who I don't think deserve my support. Mm -hmm. And by not supporting them, I'm not taking away anything that they're entitled to. And... People are not entitled to my support. And uh, if they act in ways in which I choose not to support them, well, then that was on them. Um, and that's sort of my general thought on, on cancel culture. But that's a, that's a spectacular point. Thank you. On that. Yeah, I, 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 I completely agree with... Yeah, I completely agree with you on that. And I also think that it is, like, I'm not a huge fan of the name either, like, because it puts this extremity on it that, like, you know, would honestly be great when it comes to, like, some of the most heinous, like, representations of, like, people that have been canceled in cancel culture. 
But, like, it's also, like, kind of a thing where it's, like, this is where I think cancel culture has failed because it's, like, mm-hmm. people, this is not, or, I'm, like, stumbling over here. It, it has not worked. People are right. still coming back and working and doing better even in some ways than they have before because there's a resistance to canceling them. Mm-hmm. And people need to recognize this too, and like also be like, I, I don't see like how why there's so much outrage. Honestly, it's like like let's take the Morgan Wallen thing as yeah. an example. It, yep, his his songs have been charting across the board for like weeks now. He's profited off of this. Yeah, so, yeah. He's more famous than ever, and that's another thing too. Is that this can like make people more famous? It can. Yep. It can help their brand in in a really bizarrely horrible way. It can help their brand and help their case and give them a a, um, a support group that they otherwise didn't have because of you know cancel culture. Everyone's listening to Ariel Pink now. And I find the thought of Fox News viewers listening to Ariel Pink <laughs> hilarious, uh, just yeah. like aside from it. But you're absolutely right. Like, people are flocking to Morgan Wallen because mm-hmm. not only fans of his music, but people who had otherwise never heard of him, these anti cancel culture types, they are so passionate about that that they are flocking to his music and supporting him as a political statement. So, mm-hmm. if the goal of cancel culture is to ruin the artist's career, I think that has failed. If the uh-huh. if the goal of cancel culture is to bring to light the idea that people should question and evaluate who they support and why, and should they continue to do so, I think it succeeded in that regard. And I don't know if that's the regard... Um, everyone takes it in, but that's how I kind of choose to view this whole thing. I've sort of given up, I think rightfully so, on cancel culture as this like communal effort to take someone down. But uh, I, I do kind of apply it to the individual level where I question, okay, well, I've heard um, certain accusations or allegations about someone um, – and how, how do I feel about that? And that's the big thing with me. It's it's entirely, every case of this is subjective to me. It's something that right. I feel. I don't go out of my way to say that someone is canceled or that I cannot listen to somebody. I just know how I feel when I listen to music made by a certain artist. And sometimes what I know about the artist takes me out of the song and sometimes that ruins the song for me and the the music. Sometimes I can't listen to an artist without thinking like, man, I, yeah. I, I want to like this song, but like I know this person is an abuser. And like yeah. I, I mentally cannot get past that. That's not me making a choice or trying to be a good person or anything. That's me saying like, well, I know this about this person. How does that affect my relationship to the music? Yeah, okay, that is a really good point on your part of, like, how it has kind of succeeded. I still think it hasn't, I still think that there's, like, a lot of issues with the way that it's succeeded in um, holding people accountable. Yes, yes. Um, And, um, but I'm going to, like, touch on this, too, because this is a great point that 
this has brought up the conversation of separating the art from the artist yeah. in a way on a broad scale in a way that is like never really happened before um which is really great because there are a lot of artists that do terrible things and say terrible things and generally just are not like doing very good things as people that make fantastic amazing art um and like cancel culture has helped to shed more light on the fact that like this artwork that you're admiring, this music that you're listening to, these movies that you're watching, this is made by this person. We were telling you who this is. Like, mm-hmm. you need to recognize that, like, this is, you know, this is, a, there's a messed up aspect to this. Um, and I think that, like, that's a really hard thing to get past. Yeah. Like, I, I, I do get the thing of like, oh, well, you know, you know, the, I, I, I'm trying to like use an example that's not too rough. Okay. Um, um and I also don't want to use Morgan Whalen or Wallen cause I don't think that, you know, I, I've never listened to his music and I have no plan to, so. Right. No, uh, I'll think of one. Um, Okay. Anyway, let's let's just use let's just use slow tie as an example, right? Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Or let's use, you know what? Let's use Kanye as an example, but only yeah. only in the like the period where he was like a big Trump supporter and he said slavery was a choice and all of that, right? Yeah. Right. J- just quotes right. and political stances, right? Sure. Okay. Yeah. Let's let's use that as a as as a as a standpoint. So, like. Using using or looking at Kanye as a person has always been something that's been like tied into his art, and you're like, oh well, like it, you need this certain amount of madness and right, um, right. going against the grain and saying whatever you want, doing whatever you want to in order to create boundary pushing art and things that like influence and you know, and I think to some extent like it's relevant like the behavior that kanye exhibits in just saying outlandish shit all the time that's his personality and you find his personality in his art yeah but the the two don't have to be intrinsically tied to each other right like your art can reflect your flaws and it can also reflect like the best parts of you too Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, tying in, it, I think that this is another thing, too, that, like, tying in, like, these people that have done pretty egregious things and, like, being like, well, I still want to listen to their music and I still want to, you know, consume their art because it's meaningful to me. Like, I don't think that it should take away the, like, memories you have associated mm-hmm. with these artists music or um you know these just like yeah these great moments or like the appreciation that you have even in the moment for the art i don't necessarily think it should take away from the things in the past right Mm -hmm. 
those are yours. Like you get those. That, that nobody can take that away from you. That's that's great. But it does shed light on the current moment, and I think that it's like an important thing to recognize that like things change. You receive new information about people. Yep. And like, if if this was one of your one of, or somebody that you knew, you would not be listening to their music anymore. You know, if you heard that they, you know said the n-word in like an interview or something like that like i i wouldn't be doing that so i know that it's it's it it is that whole separating the art from artist conversation is an is another whole conversation in itself that we can have but i wanted to kind of touch on that because it's like it's a it's something that i wrestle with uh in regards to like this cancel culture um topic yeah and you know maybe and everyone has different limits on who they want to support and to what degree they want to support the artist. And just in general for this whole conversation, I'm not saying I have the right answers. I'm not even saying I have answers, to be honest with you. I'm just throwing stuff out here. Um, mm-hmm. But yeah. <laughs> maybe maybe you're the kind of person who, uh, you know, like, you hear something about an artist that you really love and you go back and listen to their music with that added context of who they are or what they have done and, or even what they have alleged to have done. And you still, you can't like, you feel bad because you still enjoy the music, right? Like you, you still love the songs and you still sing along to them and you feel a little guilty because you know about this person now. And maybe that's, okay, but you can also not support them financially. Um, You can also, like, avoid recommending them to other people. Um, Mm -hmm. Maybe you skip the concert when they come around, you know? Or, you know, maybe you avoid buying merch that you otherwise would have. There's different degrees to support. And, um, you know, maybe maybe you just pirate all their music or something so they get none of it. Um, There's... there's, You know, and I'm not telling, I don't want to tell people what they have to do. I think more than anything, I just want people to like really think about all of this. Like, have an honest conversation with yourself. Yeah. And ask yourself if you are comfortable. And yeah. if so, why? And, yeah. uh, you know, people will come up to different conclusions. And I'm probably inconsistent. It is. And we're humans and we're flawed. And I'm probably inconsistent with some of my conclusions. Like there's probably mm-hmm. artists that I have quote unquote canceled, but other artists that I did not, even though like sure, yeah. even though the offense is the same. And um you know, that kind of transitions into more philosophical thoughts I had that I would like to go into, but any thoughts on anything I just said? No, I well, I, I want to just I want to hear more of what you have to say. I'm, okay, I'm I'm really in agreement with you right now. Okay, okay. So, so for us, it's very easy for the two of us to yep to look at well, the, the two of us <laughs> are operating from a point of privilege in every single aspect of the word privilege, more or less. Right? We're we're cisgender, heterosexual, white men in America. Uh, from pretty good backgrounds, right? Um, mm-hmm. So, if 
it, this is a thought experiment, but in a way it's not because this is reflected in reality. If a rapper like West Side Gun or your old Droog, and I'm using them as examples intentionally, say something transphobic, which they have, mm-hmm. uh, um, we would take exception to that. And um, because we know now collectively, like transphobia is bad. It's always been bad, but it's coming to light more and more about just how bad it is, right? Mm-hmm. And it's becoming more social. It's becoming less socially accessible to make transphobic comments. So, how do we feel then about a transphobic song on the Jizz's first record from nineteen ninety? Um, if if the right. morals were applied today, if he made that record today, we would be out on the Jizza. But you know, there isn't that same... Yeah, I don't think people think of the Jizza that way. I think they think of it, that as like an old song uh, made at a different time with different morality, even though we agree transphobia has always been bad. So it's just kind of... It, it, it's just things I've been thinking about. You know, how do we feel about these yeah, homophobic or transphobic lyrics or misogynist lyrics from older eras? How do we feel about predatory rock stars from older eras yeah something that's always been bad but was kind of socially acceptable in the 70s shout outs to david bowie and you know whoever else um how do we feel about deceased artists um yeah is it are we now okay to listen to certain artists now that they're they can't profit off of us listening to them it's just a bunch of questions that came to mind um so this is a, a deeper complicated issue but uh important to explore i think yeah no those are like spectacular points like yeah it it it, it is it's so complicated it's i mean because all all of these people are people they have Mm -hmm. their they have their reasons they have their biases for doing things their opinions on things they're you know their like faults and their greatnesses and everything and like recognizing these negative deeply negative aspects of uh of their music is in some ways a reflection on the time and reflection of their own ignorance that's true you know but like it still doesn't make it good Mm -hmm. and it's okay to recognize that like things change and yeah, if that just this song came out today, it would not fly. It would not be okay. That's a good thing. Yeah, I agree. That, that type of song shouldn't be coming out today. (laughs) Right. It's also okay to recognize that like, yeah, maybe the early nineties, um, well, really, all the way up until like pretty recently, I mean, honestly, yeah. even even now, still, yeah. But like maybe that those times were really bad for the transgender community, the LGBTQ community as a whole. You know, in some ways, there's a positivity there because it's like we have gotten better about having the conversation, and that's a good thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's okay to recognize that, like, yeah, this was a bad time, and and Jizzle was playing into the negative aspects of the time, and probably had, you know, the same negative biases and same 
very transphobic ideologies that were being carried by lots of people in the time. Yes. Um, yeah. You know, I, I, it, I'm not like forgiving him for doing that or forgiving like the predatory behavior by at any means of like rock stars or anything, but like, I'm not, I'm not forgiving it at all. It's terrible, but it's okay to recognize that that's a terrible thing too. Like, I don't get why people are so upset that like, they're finally, or they're, they're all of a sudden realizing that people have been really shitty for a long time. It's like, yeah. Yeah. Well, and, and this ties into, I think, a, a conversation that America has had in regards to statues and who we choose to idolize. And yeah. um, a, a conversation about, well, this is who this person was versus, uh, well, they were that way, but this is how it was at the time, you know? Um, so that's something that's always sort of, Interesting. Yeah, there's this mythology that gets built up that I don't think is a super healthy way of looking at like figures from the past. Yes, yes, absolutely. That. Thank you. That's like exactly why are we holding? Not we necessarily, but but some artists are held on such a pedestal that like any yeah. sort of criticism is like these people aren't infallible. They're people. Yeah, they are fallible. Yeah, yeah. It, just imagine them being around today. It's the exact same thing. Yep. Yep. They're they're just people, just like the artists are people now that are creating art. So, yeah. Something I wanted to touch on, too, with this, um, as we kind of close out here, is that... Yeah. You know, I, I don't want to generalize anybody, right? But I have noticed that this is generally a, you know... Uh, as it as it is with anything, it's sort of uh, like a, a more conservative audience taking exception to cancel mm-hmm. culture, right? Um, you know, it, it's it's never. I I I, I, it, I feel like it's usually just oh, like well, a Fox News viewer type uh, hears yeah. that people are bullying Ariel Pink and they they come to rush to his defense. I rarely hear that about the other side, but I, I might be wrong on that. But I wonder how many of these anti-cancel culture types are also the same people who burned Nike shoes after the Colin Kaepernick ad, or yep, or boycotted Starbucks and told great point, yeah, told the baristas that their name is Merry Christmas, so they'd have to write it on the cup, or uh, threw the Keurig machines out of their windows after uh, they pulled their ads from the Sean Hannity show. So. Ultimately, what I'm saying is I think a lot of people are quote-unquote guilty of cancel culture. You know, I don't think this is a – I don't think the left has a monopoly on, oh, well, we're trying to – Yeah. You know, we're trying to cancel everybody. You know, Like, no. They, like, let's – you know, both sides are trying to hold people accountable. It's just only mm-hmm. cancel culture when it's coming from the left, I guess. So. Yeah. You know, th- that's a – yeah, that's a really good point. Yeah. Um, do I have uh, any time to make a quick point, or should I just save it? You, you have about like five minutes, I'd say. So go for it if if you feel like it. Okay, I'll like two seconds on. Well, not two seconds, two minutes on this. Okay, um, you have five minutes, so two seconds works. I mean, it's, <laughs> <laughs> you have more time than that. <laughs> uh. All right, three seconds on this. <laughs> um, I will say that also. Um, it's really easy for me to talk about cancel culture in this way um, yes. and talk about talk about how 
it's generally a good thing and it's like the idea is is a good way to like hold people accountable and everything like it's in in our positions like you said of privilege it's really easy to forget about the fact that lots and lots and lots of people have really horrible biases towards people of color people Mm -hmm. in the lgbtq community women like it's it's easy for us to be like oh yeah you know if if this white guy does a shitty thing he should be held accountable yeah that's you know obvious but there are nuances to these biases and the way that people assume things about um you know like i've seen a lot of like anti-cancel culture stuff in like the hip-hop community too and i think that some of it comes from these things that like people are ready to you know accuse black men or you know just black people in general of these really heinous things these Mm -hmm. negative things at a moment's notice and i think that there is something there but um it gets tricky when people start using it as an excuse to like to justify like shitty behavior overall you know like there is there is a a, a nuance to how that is handled too but i just wanted to recognize that like i'm not you know i can't speak outside of my experience for this and i understand some of the complaints on the other side here but um you know that that's that's really what I wanted to recognize. Yeah, no, I I think that's great. Um, and you know, I guess since we're on the topic of privilege, I'll just kind of like closing thought for me is that um, I find it odd that just like like if say there's a, a homophobic comment or a lyric or something, it's you know easy for people like me to be like, oh well, you know, stop. It's whatever. It's just you know, it's just a comment or it's just a lyric yeah. or whatever. Who, who am I or people like me to tell gay people that they shouldn't be offended by homophobic comments or like try to put a limit on to the degree yep. of which they can react to that. You know, like I have, I cannot say anything about that. Um, so that's just kind of something I wanted to say is, uh, we are two white dudes, uh, as, yeah, as we alluded to, as we alluded to. And, uh, I, I think, I think we took down cancel culture kind of as Great job, man. I'm, it, I'm happy. We finally did it. We did it. Someone, someone had to glad it could be us. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm going to, maybe I should title this podcast in like a Joe Rogan way. Uh, <laughs> yeah. I'm just going to destroy cancel culture with facts and logic. Um, so anyway, yeah, this was a great podcast. I enjoyed doing it. Thank you for doing it, Patrick. Thank you all for listening. And uh, with that, we'll see you next time. So bye-bye.